Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me begin by saying that today is the day to receive, I believe, great encouragement as to just how near and present our Lord Jesus Christ is with his people in an age where he told his disciples and he reminds us in an age where there would be tribulation and there would be suffering until he comes again. Today is a day to be mindful of his promise as to how near he would be during this age. And on the third Sunday of Easter, we get a sense that we're starting to turn a corner in this season. You know, we're living by remembrance in all of those days between the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, where Christ is revealing himself to us even now, as he revealed himself to his disciples during those days. And during those, that, that period of time, our Lord was preparing them. He was building their faith for that time that he would return to the Father. And today, again, we get that great sense. We're starting to turn the tide from Easter tide and set our face towards his ascension. We see this in the scripture readings, the words of Jesus Christ that we're given as we're walking at this point in the season. But also we are receiving his promise that he would be infinitely present with us in this world of such suffering. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ from our gospel reading today from the gospel of St. John in chapter 16. Jesus says, a little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Now the disciples are perplexed. The disciples are perplexed. What do you mean you're going to leave us? They're not computing this. They don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus, knowing their struggle, he continues. He says, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that that child has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. The church fathers, in absolute harmony, tell us that our Lord Jesus Christ, remember, he's speaking to them both before his death and resurrection and before his ascension in the Gospel of St. John and 16. And the fathers all teach us that he's teaching them two realities about two realities that they're about to face. The first reality that would come the sooner is that he would be taken away, crucified, placed in a tomb, and he would be resurrected from the dead. Our Lord would be taken from them. And just like we talked about on that first Sunday after Easter, when our Lord Jesus Christ was put on trial, tortured, crucified, and laid in a tomb, their entire world, the disciples' world, crumbled for a mere few days. They were disillusioned. They were in great pain and agony and suffering, knowing what had happened to their Lord and anxious as over what might happen to them. 
They had a very, very dark few days. And Satan and the world, we could say for a split second, were rejoicing. We're rejoicing. And how would all of this be completely and utterly transformed and undone? How would the disciples' sorrow be turned into joy and Satan and the world's rejoicing turned into great mourning? Jesus Christ resurrected. Jesus Christ resurrected. And the disciples would experience the power of the resurrection. And they would behold the resurrection himself, Jesus Christ, who would appear to them and stand in their presence. And Satan and the demonic, while the disciples were now turned to joy, Satan and the demonic would shake in despair at the reality of the resurrection. For they knew that they were conquered. They knew that they had been undone. But there's a second reality that our Lord is preparing them for. And it was that when he would return to the Father and he knew that his disciples would remain on earth without him physically present. And that in this age, the last days, until Jesus Christ would return again, they would suffer. They would suffer the, for the world. They would suffer for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they needed to receive words that would build their faith. And have them hold on to Jesus Christ who is their joy himself. This is what our Lord offered him, all offered them all during this time. And they needed the promise that all of their struggles, all of their tears, all of their pain and suffering in this present age would be wiped away entirely by the blessed hand with the nail print in it. That our Lord would wipe away their suffering forever. That Christ would come again for them. This is why Jesus says, Therefore you now have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take from you. My friends, this is the age we live in. We live in an age where there is sorrow. And anybody in this room that says they've never tasted sorrow, give it time. And I don't believe you. Because we all have. We live in an age of sorrow. But for the Christian in Christ, it is an age filled with sorrow. We can't escape that. But those days even of the deepest sorrow are intermingled with the greatest joy for those who are remaining in Christ. And joy is not to be defined, my friends, as an emotion that wells up when good circumstances come upon us and it makes us happy. Oh, happiness is part of joy, don't get me wrong. But please don't limit joy to being connected to good circumstances, positive circumstances, and a lack of suffering. Because true joy is defined like this. It is utter contentment of the soul regardless of what the circumstances are around us. And that blessed contentment that no one can understand that wells up within us when it shouldn't, when we're going through the most immense suffering, wells up praise within our heart and communicates the living Lord Jesus Christ to the hearts that behold us in our suffering. And they experience the joy of Christ in us during that time. We have this joy because of this incredible, blessed, experienced fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. 
joy that He is with us always, joy experienced in the ways, even that He upholds us and undergirds us in the times we're at our greatest, weakest points, in the midst of the suffering, where we become literally a limp noodle of a human being because of the pains we experience, and our Lord straightens us out, undergirds us, and strengthens us, and it brings us joy. It's that joy that comes only this way, by keeping the eyes of our soul fixed upon the very resurrected Jesus Christ who is every moment with us. And keeping our eyes focused on the very words that he promised, that he would be with us and would wipe away those very tears. I want you to hear the words of the venerable Saint Bede, commenting on what our Lord says in this gospel today about this suffering, but also about this joy. He taught... But this discourse of the Lord is appropriate to all believers who are striving to arrive at eternal joys through the tears and distress of this present life. They rightly lament and weep and are sorrowful during this present time since they are not yet capable of seeing him whom they love. As long as they are in their body, they recognize that they're on a journey and absent from their fatherland and true kingdom. They have no doubt that they must reach their crown through labors and contests in this present age. But their sorrow will be changed to joy when after the struggle of this present life is over, they receive the prize of everlasting life, about which is said from the psalmist, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. You know, when our Lord is talking to his disciples, greatly encouraging them in their faith toward acknowledging and experiencing His presence even when He presence when He would leave them. He's speaking to them, but He's speaking to us, His disciples now. And what sufferings did He know His disciples would face? And we're included in that. What sufferings would we face? Many, I'll just mention a few. One, we'll suffer the pains of living in a fallen world. We're going to suffer in our bodies. We're going to suffer in our minds, in our thought life. We're going to suffer in our emotions that are so very broken at times and have been broken either by our own choices or at the hand of others. He also knew that we would suffer various forms of persecution in this life from those outside of the ark of salvation. Because listen to me very clearly, because we see it all over the place right now. Those in this world, outside of the ark of salvation, who are set against Christ, are set against us. Because we're united to Him. How can they not be set against those who have Christ within them? Those who they are seeing the profound ministry of Christ within their souls and also through them to this world. He knew they would suffer at the hands of persecution. But He also wanted to encourage them. And I believe wholeheartedly this is why when you see the apostles in the scriptures persecuted you don't see them standing up in anger and shaking their fists what do you see them doing rejoicing in the lord that they were counted worthy to be persecuted as their lord was my humanity cannot completely fathom that right now and i'll tell you why that is because right now i'm not personally being persecuted i believe that kind of grace and that kind of faith for those who have fellowship with Christ will be given to them when they need it. But we see it in all the epistles and in Acts 
we see them rejoicing in such treatment because Christ is with them and Christ is being glorified through them in times of great persecution. Another thing that we'll suffer living right now is living in what I call, and you've heard me say this before, living in the now and not yet. All at once. We suffer from this. Living in this last age knowing that we are living as foreigners, as sojourners, that we do not belong to all of this fallenness that's all in our world, that we see all around us. We're foreign to it. And as St. Pete said, suffering in our longing to be fully with Christ eternally, the one we love and adore, but we're just not there fully yet. Jesus knew we would suffer these things because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's been in the beginning and the end, and he is the beginning and the end, and all in the middle of it. And so he speaks to them words of truth that are there to strengthen them, to exhort them, to encourage his disciples. And he's doing it for us as well. You know, if I could sum up the very ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ between his resurrection and his ascension to his disciples and to all of us, to sum up his ministry would be that Jesus is teaching this and encouraging them with this, saying to them, listen, you're not going to see me, even though I am gone physically from you. And I know you've been used to that. Even though I'm physically gone from you, I am still just as with you as before. I, you look at everything that our Lord Jesus Christ did between the ascension, I mean between the resurrection and the ascension. He is building their faith to believe that even when he's not there, he's there. And that his ministry would continue in and through them. You know, much of Jesus, one of the things we see in that period of time, remember how many times Jesus, it's like he pops into a room. He appears into a room and he fellowships fully with his disciples and then he pops out. He disappears. He does this many times. He does this with individuals, not just with the disciples. This is something he's constantly doing, appearing, being present, disappearing. Have you ever considered that our Lord Jesus Christ may have been given his disciples a lesson in spiritual object permanency. Some of you may or may not know what object permanency is. So let me describe it to you. If you take a, a nice bright red ball and you've got an infant sitting in a crib and you put that ball over the infant, the infant's eyes are locked on that ball. You move to the left, their eyes will go left and right. They may even reach for it. But if you take that ball and stick it under the crib, they, they lose it. They go to something else. They're focused on something else because they don't have object permanency. They believe that since they can't see it, it must not exist at all. This has been proven through scientific studies. But then you give one year later in the child's life, you take that same ball, same crib, and you put it over them, and they're grabbing at it just like they were before. And you take it, you stick it down where they can't see it. They're going to the edge of the crib wanting to find it because they know that even though they can't see it, that ball is right there. Do you ever stop to think that, that may be what our Lord was doing with his disciples? Teaching them, I'm here. You see me. You don't see me. Do you realize I'm still here? In the same way. I remember the, one of my favorite stories during that time period is on the road to Emmaus. Where the two disciples that had not experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ. They're in the same flux and anxiousness and confusion and depression and sadness and sorrow. Because they've witnessed their Lord being taken from them. 
and all that had happened and him being laid in a tomb. And you remember Jesus shows up, but he hides his identity. He's walking and talking with them and they don't know who this is. And they spent years with them. And so they tell him that Jesus asked them, even though they don't know it's him, what's wrong? What's bothering you? And they say, have you not seen everything that just happened in Jerusalem during this time? And they describe it to him. And what does Jesus do? Get this. The great high priest celebrates the liturgy for them. Why do I say that? Because the first thing he does is he takes them through scripture, revealing through scripture and the prophets. Everything that pointed to what they had just seen happen to their Lord. And it says while he is teaching them that their hearts were burning, yearning for more. And then they come to the place where they stay. Jesus acts like he's going to walk on. They say, don't leave. Stay with us. They didn't want him to leave. And so he sits at table with them. And then the most astounding thing happens. Our Lord takes bread. And he blesses it. And he breaks it. And as soon as he breaks it, their eyes were opened. And listen to the words. They knew him. They knew him in the breaking of the bread. Every time we gather together, how present is our Lord Jesus Christ with his people. He longs for this banquet. He longs to get your hearts burning with faith, burning with fire, with the scriptures, and then to bring you to himself in holy Eucharist to be present with you so that as it's broken and as you take it, you receive him and you know him. He's with us. And lastly, from our Matthew reading, Matthew's reading, St. John chapter 14. This is one of my favorite scriptures to sit and think about because I'm nowhere near grasping it yet, nor will I ever be. Jesus says to his disciples, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will do he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. Why can I not fathom that? Because I know the works of Jesus Christ. All that we see testified of in the Gospels. I know the raising of the dead that he did. I know the healing that he did. I know the casting out of demons that he did. And he says to his disciples, all these things you've seen me do, you'll do even greater. My friends, let me, I want you to hear this. If you really want to know how present Jesus Christ is with you, be in fellowship with him and then just this. Avail yourself to be used by him. Because when Jesus Christ continues his ministry through us, his ministry and salvation, whether it's mercy or healing or exhortation or encouragement, whenever Jesus Christ uses our frail flesh and blood to do any good work of the kingdom of God, you will know in that moment how present our Lord Jesus Christ is with you. That though you can't see him, he is. And he is here. In our present sufferings, we have got to keep the eyes of our soul fixed upon an ever-present Lord Jesus Christ. And if we will do that, we will have the most unexplainable but profound joy. Joy that comes from his name, Emmanuel, that means God with us. For Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.